Well, good morning. It is great to have you all here this morning and always uh, <clears throat> enjoy coming to church and hanging out with all of you. And uh, it means a lot to me. And so I'm excited just to be able to share here this morning. And just to get you started, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5. If you want to get a hard start there. And uh, we'll be looking at a story that shows up there. It actually shows up in all three Gospels. But um, we're starting a new series today, and it's called Storyboards. There's a lot of different ways that you can tell a story. One of the most common ways we tell a story is just through a, a simple book. And, uh, you know, we read storybooks or we read novels. And, and uh, as, as we get older, those books get longer and longer and have fewer and fewer pictures. And so is there maybe in response to that, I'm not exactly sure. We, we look for pictures, but we often go off and find them in movies or films or even videos, which are simply stories that are just being told in a different medium and told a little bit different way. It's where a written story depends on an outline or a framework. A lot of times even the outline is the chapters that make up a story. When you move into film or when you move into video, you use a different format and the format that you use for that is, is typically what is called a storyboard. And a storyboard is a panel, it's, it just I mean, it shows up on a page as a panel of, of boxes that are empty. And in that box, you draw out the scene that is next in the story. And so the first box shows the first scene, and the second box shows the second scene, and the third box shows the third scene. And underneath those boxes are some notes, and those notes include, here's what's actually the, the scene is about or what's happening in the story. Sometimes there's a note on, on the action that actually we're wanting to capture with the camera. Sometimes there's a note there that's, that's about, you know, that catches a main line of dialogue or, 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 or of the script. So, so that we know what we're attaching it to. And even sometimes we see a, a, a line there that's a, uh, what we call special effects. And so this is for people who are sitting around and creating this story or creating this movie. They put it all out there on this storyboard so they can actually see the story that they want to tell with the notes that actually happen or, or help them advance that. And a lot of times, even on the storyboards, there'll be like an arrow that advances from one box to the next box to the next box. Well, as we start this video here this morning, we're going to take a storyboard approach as we look at some of the stories of Jesus Christ and how they involve different people. And so as people came into Jesus' life, he had these interactions and we read about it on the page, and, and a lot of times it becomes very two-dimensional to us. And what I'd like for us is in our minds, as we go through this uh, series, is to actually have these stories become a little bit more three-dimensional. To remind ourselves of the fact that actually these were real people who lived real lives, who were dealing with real situations, who encountered a very real Jesus, and there were very real things that happened in that story and after that story. And so we're going to do that this morning as we look at Mark chapter 5. But before we do that, I want to invite Nicole to come back up here. Nicole uh, is the director of our kids' ministry and appreciate everything that she does. And she's going to help me out a little bit this morning because we're going to Talk a little bit about Nicole's story. And if you've never heard Nicole's story, have a seat. Yes, please. 
If you haven't told the story, I think it's important for us as a church to hear this story and uh, what God has done in her life too. And so we've talked about this a little bit this week, and I encourage Nicole to, to approach her story from this storyboards idea to really identify her life in, into specific scenes. And I think as we talked on Friday, you'd really put, kind of put this together into about five scenes. And so what we're going to do is we're going to work through her story, and I'm going to interview her a little bit, maybe ask some questions as she goes, but want to let you, her tell you her story because I think it's going to be really impactful to you. So tell us just a little bit, like the first scene is childhood, right? Tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up. Yes. So uh, when I was born, I was born to two very uh, broken and lost uh, people who... Hold that right up to your mouth, okay? Okay, are we good? Is that better? Okay. Uh, I was broken to two very broken and lost people who unfortunately found each other, and instead of breaking generational chains um, that they had been born into, they unfortunately recreated them. And... So as a result of this, my entire foundation of life for the first 17 years was built on, um, it was built on every single form of abuse that anybody could sit here and try to imagine or, or fathom. Uh, and as a result of that, I lived in consistent fear and hopelessness and brokenness and shame and resentment and anger. Um, and I was a nobody. I was a nobody for a very long time. I, I think you said that your parents, as we talked about this, that your parents would, would often tell you that you were just a mistake. Oh, yes. Um, so they never made, um, they never missed an opportunity to remind me how much of a mistake I was, how much of uh, my existence was absolutely not purposeful here, how as I got older, I would continue to be nothing. And when I became an adult, um, I would just, I was nothing. I was a mistake, and I, they made sure I knew that. And I think you even said this too, like your parents never called you by name. They did not call me by name. So um, obviously you can tell that my parents were not um, well in, in their, their mind or how they thought, but my name for, all of, for my parents was the retard. It, we had, they have their son Davey and the retard, and that is how I was referred to 99% of my life. Well, the first 17 years of my life. Yeah. So, so something changed, though, when you were, like, 10. So this moves us into scene number two. Right. So we had gotten evicted from the uh, trailer park that we were currently living in into another trailer park, which is a very common occurrence in, our, in my life growing up. And this new trailer park was on the dirt road in the middle of nowhere. We actually had a cow pasture right across the street. And... Um, psychologically speaking, this type of childhood, anybody that understands that or knows anything about it, you're very sheltered, okay? You're not allowed to do much of anything. You're reclused off from the world. And mine was no different. And for whatever reason, though, my parents allowed my brother and I to do this one thing. And when we got to this new trailer park, this church van for a local church would come through, and it would pick up all the kids in the trailer park that were able to, to go, that, whose parents allowed them to go. Till the day that I die, I will be thankful to my parents every single day for allowing my brother and I to get on that church van. So what happened then? So from there, 
obviously started going to church every morning or every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every back then we went on Wednesday nights um, also. Well, we do here too. Or in Sunday nights, that's the difference. Um, so I started learning about Jesus, about God, and it fascinated me because there, in my mind, I said, so there is something or somebody out there that will love me and accept me even when the two people that couldn't didn't. And I couldn't understand that. And so I think it was during a VBS when I was 10, you know, we're, they're talking to us about Jesus. You know, if you want Jesus to come into your heart, you know, the whole shebang. I was like, well, sign me up. Yeah, absolutely. So I prayed and, you know, I said, so I want to live for you. And, and so I, I did. And almost instantly I started feeling, which now of course I know is the Holy Spirit, but I felt this, this pull in my, in my life. And I was 10. So two things started happening in my mind. The first thing, um, I knew that I had to hang in there. And when I say hang in there and stick it out as a 10 year old, I had been on this earth for 10 years. I didn't want any part of it anymore. And you know, I, I, I was going to do what I had to do to get away from the, or from the earth. Take that and interpret it as you want. Uh, but I knew I had to stick in there and I had to stick in there for two reasons. One, was because if I did, then no other child in my family lineage would ever deal with any, anything that I did for as, as long as, as life were to, to happen. I knew that at, at 10. And then also, I knew that I had to go and I had to tell others about God and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. That's how it came to me. It wasn't like, go tell the world the gospel. I knew I had to tell. That's just what it was. So in my 10-year-old mind, I took that. And that is what helped me to live the rest of my life, you know, with my parents, and I would sleep with my Bible underneath my pillow too for protection over that night and the next day, but that's what carried me on. Okay, when you went to church, you said a couple of interesting things to me when we were talking earlier. You said it was like the first time in life that somebody had actually seen you. Well, yeah, so when, when I went to church, I was the first time I was a human being, so it was the first time that I was a person. It was the first time that I wasn't an inconvenience. I wasn't uh, just a massive body taking up space. It was, I was, and I had a name there, and my name was, was Nicole. And people looked at me and, and listened to me and talked to me and wanted to hear things that I said and, and wanted, allowed me to listen to them. And the, that is probably yeah, one no. of the biggest things. Yeah. So you trusted Christ back then. I did. And then the next scene moves into your teen years, and you're, you're participating in church or in faith things, but as you mentioned, it didn't all go so smoothly. No, no, it didn't. Um, I knew I felt the pull. You know, that pull that you know you should be doing the right thing, you should be going and doing the right things. And as I became a late teenager, a, a million and a one things happened in order for me to say that I got out. So when I was 17, I was able to get out. And um, that was the first time in my life that I'd ever had any sort of confidence. As you can imagine, that type of childhood, you have zero confidence. You're nothing. And so the only time that I ever faced anything was my own personal hell on earth. And I looked Satan in the face and walked away from it. And so from that, not working through that, knowing that I needed to work through that, I made a lot of a lot of unfortunate choices for the next, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years of my life. I knew that I needed 
to get help. I, in my mind and my heart and in my soul, I had given God my, my present and my future, but my past was not being touched. I don't care what I had to do. I don't care who I had to hurt. I was not, we weren't touching it because I was scared, because I'd gotten out. I'd gotten away from it. I gave God this part of me. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So let me interrupt you here for yeah. a second. Um, one of the things in our conversations, you talked about the fact that as you lived out your faith, though, it became very much an, like trying to be good enough for God. Mm-hmm. Because, because why? Well, because obviously it was because I, I wanted to be able to, to, to earn what I thought was God. I wanted to be good enough. I wanted to be able, if he saw that part of me, if I gave him that part of me to fix, then he would realize I was a mistake. And that in my mind. And I wanted to be able to, to say that it was worth saving me. You know, it, it's okay. You're, you don't need to see that. That's bad. That's so, not who I want. So, well, and you just said that. You don't get to see. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you were, like, from what you told me to, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth. These are things that we discussed. No, no, yeah. But you were afraid to let God see you, too, too ashamed to let God see you. Oh, absolutely. There was no way God was going to see that part of me. And if I wasn't letting God see that part of me, I wasn't letting people see a part of me, see that of me. So I was running, and I ran as hard as I could. God was not touching that because I was protecting him, <laughs> you know. Um, but I wasn't, I couldn't. I was ashamed. I was, you know, all of the feelings that come along with that. Yeah. He wasn't going to see it. So, so you ran and ran and ran. Yes. And then you met this guy named Brian. I did. Yeah, and it started having some kids, and did. that kind of like moved you into the next scene of life. Yes. So, yes, we. I, I met my Brian. Uh, best thing, literally, that's ever happened to me. And uh, because of him, and and the kids, I started to understand that I was running out of places to run. If that makes sense. Because, you know, you have to be a little bit more vulnerable. Your kids get a little older, and our kids, for those of us that have them, they literally mimic everything that you do. So when they see mommy not opening up, not, you know, just haphazardly kind of living life, I realized that uh, some changes needed to be made. Uh, so you ended up going back to church yes. a little bit. Yes. So we were dipping our toes in church. We found a church in Ohio, and we went, and I was not, listen, in the very back, that's where I would sit in the back corner, and you would not catch me at all. We knew the pastor. And honestly, I think we went there for almost two years. I was not having it. We, I was a part of zero anything. I would show up, do the things, and I was Audi 500 as soon as the last prayer came along. So, so then we moved to the next scene, mm-hmm. which Brian gets a job transfer. Yes. And it puts him in Waterford. In Waterford, Michigan. So we were trans- Brian was transferred here in, in uh, June of 2019. And God love him. He was driving to work when he was like, hey, there's this little church over on Airport Road we should try. And I was like, all right, whatever. And we tried it. And uh, within, within two months, we were part of a small group. We were part of a, I was a part of a women's Bible study. And whenever you're a part of those things and the Holy Spirit, you know, I'm running from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's like, well, you can try. We're done. And so I just became 
literally out of places to run because you have to talk about stuff in small group. Thanks a lot, George and Gloria. Um, <laughs> and have to talk about things in um, women's uh, in the Bible study. And it was incredible and it was scary. Um, but, I mean, do you want me to continue? Well, I, th- I thought it was interesting. What you, what you shared with me was like, it wasn't like you came to Christ at, at that point, but it's that like you had a second almost experience with Christ at that point. It was this, it was a, uh, it was a second, I don't know, awakening, rebirth, a second life. It was a second opportunity at life for sure. Uh, but it was September 19th or it was September 11th of 2019. And I had come home from a Bible study and I went and I just, I sat down and I had a verbal conversation with God. And I said, listen, I've been trying to do what you made known to me since I was 10 and you keep trying to fix me. And I've been trying to protect you. And uh, because whenever you see the mistake that I am, you're going to realize that you made a mistake. Like of, of all the things that you've done, you're going to realize I'm your first mistake. And but here you go, because I'm done running. I cannot do it anymore. A lot of things, you know, choices for me. I can't do it anymore. And so, you know, September 12th of, of 2019, I woke up because I had assumed that whenever God realizes he made a mistake, like animals start talking or something weird, it didn't happen. I realized I wasn't too much of a mistake for God. And, um, yeah. you know. Well, no, there's no. more to the story, right, than what we're telling here. So and, uh, but I, I am so glad that God brought you here. I am so glad that you have become part of our staff team. I am so glad that you're working with our kids. And I'm so glad that God has taken your story and is redeeming it. Of course. It's like for all of us, our stories are being redeemed. But I thought, I thought it was good for us to know a little bit of Nicole's story. But I think Nicole's story is going to help us with this next story. So thanks so much for, yeah, you're for coming up. And if you have other questions, I'm sure she'd be more than happy to talk with you. Because I think for anybody, when you go through things, you want to feel like it matters, even in the lives of other people. So please don't hesitate to to talk with her. I know she'd be happy to share. Thanks so much, Nicole. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability too. So we have this story of this woman who is unseen. Is that a good way to say it? Was unseen and ashamed. And then we go to Mark chapter 5 and we find a woman who's unseen and ashamed. And so let's just read about her story. But before we do that, I want you to consider a couple different things. First of all, remembering our storyboards theme here, if you were going to film this story, how would you do it? Okay, we're going to take, not Nicole's story, but we're going to take this story we're about to read. And as we read it, I want you to be thinking, okay, how would I, if I were like a a movie director, movie producer, how would I put that together? Secondly, then what would be the most important moments to capture? as you're filming that. And then I'd like to ask you to ask a third question here, and it's this one. If you had to insert yourself into the story, where would you put yourself? And just because these stories sometimes like, that's that person. No, it's us too. Well, that's, you know, 
even Nicole's story. No, Nicole's story is, is our story too. So where would you put yourself in this story? So we're going to start reading Mark chapter 5. I've been warning you now several times. Verse number 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And it's interesting here. Just notice how he comes. You can, you can see him pushing his way through the crowd. But he comes, and he, and he deals with Jesus face to face. And he does, it does say that, that he, um, you know, he falls at, at his feet there. And, but, but he stands up and, and makes this very bold request. Would you please, and we'll read it here, verse number 23, he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. And so he makes this bold request, and what is Jesus' response? So Jesus went with him. You asked, of course, I'll go with you. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And as he's going on his way, there was a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And it doesn't tell us a whole lot more than that. But, but some physical condition here where, where she has, like, bleeding that doesn't stop. And, and the problem even with the, in the Jewish uh, context there is it would have made her continually ceremonially unclean. So she couldn't even be a part of anything that was going on the worship part of her life. And, and actually, nobody could ever touch her physically because of that same thing. But she'd suffered a great deal, it tells us in verse number 26, under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him. And notice that contrast to the first guy in the story who comes to Jesus face to face and boldly makes this request. She comes up behind him in the crowd and she doesn't say a word. She merely touches his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately when she does this, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering and her, her wildest dreams and, her, and hopes and wishes have just been fulfilled in that moment. And you can feel that she touches and, and she starts to turn and walk away. And Jesus, verse number 30, realizing the power had gone out for him, he turned around in the crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? Because what she had done in, there, in, in some ways, and, and you can imagine what she's thinking, what she had done was, was actually very wrong. Because she would have been un, ceremonially unclean, she should not have been touching anybody. And yet she just touched Jesus, and it was a very, it was a very brazen thing to do. And the, the disciples, they don't understand what's going on. And they say, you see the people crowding against you, verse number 31, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And I like how Matthew says it as he recounts this, this story. Matthew 9.22, it says this, Then Jesus turned and saw her. Now let me finish reading this story, but from Luke chapter 8. So it's going to look just a little bit different. You can follow along in Mark chapter, uh, in Mark chapter 5 where you are. But this is how Luke records it. Then the woman 
seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And so we take this script, and this morning, if you'll all participate in this exercise with me, we want to turn it into a movie, a movie script, and, and to see what it would be like if we filmed this. And so, unfortunately, we are missing parts of this story that we would really need, so we're going to fill some in a little bit, and this is just conjecture on my part, okay? Admittedly so, but we're going to fill in some of the details here, and we're actually going to go to a storyboard that I've put together here. So, uh, pardon the artwork, okay? But here we go. This is what this story looks like in my mind. This is the first scene. We see the crowd gathered in a public place. We see the boats that have just come up on shore. We see that Jesus is standing there. And I've marked Jesus in, in blue there, just so he stands out a little bit. And everybody's standing around, and he's teaching these different people, and he's having these conversations. And we see this guy come from off off camera, as it were. And so the camera picks him up, and you can actually maybe even picture him working his way through the crowd. And I didn't put up as many people as there were probably there. But you can see he's kind of, you know, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and kind of pushing his way to the front of the scene there. And we can see that this man is distraught. You can see that this man is upset, and there's something bothering him. And we watch this going on, and we're curious. And he gets to Jesus, and he falls down in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him like, okay. And the man stands up, and what does he say? Hey, I have a 12-year-old daughter. She's sick. She's not going to make it. My, our, my only hope, Jesus, is you. Could you come and could you touch her? Because you could heal her. And what does Jesus do? He immediately says, okay. And so we go to the next scene. And Jesus is going with Jairus to go... Heal this 12-year-old daughter. But I picture them moving down the street, and I picture the crowd murmuring there in the background. But then the camera starts to work through the crowd, and it picks up different faces as they walk down the street. and picks up different faces, and it finally gets to this one face of a woman who is standing quite a ways back from the crowd. And the camera just settles on her. And instead of everybody else looking in expectation and following Jesus, you kind of see her, her head down. And, and you can kind of see as she's wrestling with herself. And then maybe you see as, as she looks from one side to the other, because really she shouldn't be there in that crowd because of her condition. And maybe you can even see her like, like pull a scarf across her face so that hopefully nobody will notice who she is. And as that crowd walks down the street, she like trails a little bit behind them because she has this idea of like, well, maybe do you think he could help me too? And so she joins the crowd as the crowd goes down the street. And then we go to panel or to, the, to scene number three here in my story. And it's a little bit of a, like, oh, where do we just go here? We were following Jesus. We we're following this crowd. And we go back now to this scene. It's, it's in a house. And we see a family, a mother, a father sitting at the table there. And we see a little girl who's sitting there at the table. And, and she looks to be about maybe 
12. And we're like, oh, okay, wait, we're, we're back to, the, we're back to the, the story of the man. And maybe this is a picture of, of this little girl, but, but, but she looks healthy. And then what we do here, in my mind, as, as I'm writing this story or, or filming it, writing the script, is we see a montage going through this girl's life. And we see, you know, like as a 12-year-old here at dinner, and, and then maybe we see her at the next birthday party, and, and then we see her with, with some friends, and we see her as she's going through life, not as a 12-year-old, but, you know, 13, 15, 18, 20, and we're like, oh, this must just be like Jesus is going to heal her, and everything's going to be good, and we're getting a picture of how great her life is going to be. And then something happens. And you could tell in this montage as these scenes just one by one just kind of flash across the scene that something bad has happened to this girl, and this girl is sick. And then we realize that the, that the father in this scene here is not the same father that we saw come to Jesus. This is, this is a different father. This is a different girl. And then we realize, no, this is the girl that's following in the background. Because as we start to see her face, we start to realize how her life started and looked so good when she was 12. And yet something came into her life, this, this, this disease, this illness, this bleeding came into her life. And how it has just taken her life and how it has actually just taken it down. And at first it wasn't that big deal. But then, then we see in this montage, she goes to a doctor and the doctor shaking his head. And goes to the next doctor and shaking his head. And then we see that, that, that friends are, are starting to distance themselves because they know the story. And they don't want to be a part of this. And then we can even see family stepping back here. Because they really can't be with her. They can't take that risk. And she goes to the next doctor and the next doctor. And she spends money and money. And we kind of get to the end of this scene here. And this girl is just standing by herself. She's now an adult. But she's gone through all of these things. And if you notice on that bottom line there, I just said for the special effects, this girl's image just fades and where she starts at 10, in our montage, she starts at 12 as this vibrant person and in vibrant colors. Little by little, we just take the color out of her in these scenes until we get to the end of that montage and we see a girl who's just kind of almost like a wisp, a cloud, almost, almost like a vapor, and we can barely see her. And we go to that effect, though, because I wonder if that's how she felt. And so we look at these, these scenes, and, and we wonder about this woman, but we can make some observations, hopefully, as we've gone through her and created this little movie for ourselves here. The first thing is this, her life has not gone as she had planned or she had hoped for. Her life has not gone as she had planned or she had hoped for. Can you relate to that? I think all of us start out and we have this dream, is here's what life is going to be, and you know, I, I love to work with college students and help out with, with students at, at OCC and actually just had a great opportunity to spend some time with InterVarsity on a retreat this week. But I love college students because like life is in front of them and it's all going to be great. 
But for many of us, you know, we've lived enough life now that we know that it's not all great, and we know that things don't go as planned, and we know that things don't go as hoped for. In fact, it even said here that, you know, it just went, well, downhill. We'll keep going here. She had done everything that she could do to fix things, but to no avail. She had gone to every doctor she could find. She had spent every dollar that she had to spend. She had not just sat there and felt sorry for herself and said, oh, I've got this horrible condition here. This is going to be. No, she's like, okay, I've got to do something about this. And she went off and she tried. And maybe you can relate to that too. Because maybe it is whatever it is in your life that hasn't gone as planned. And maybe whatever that challenge that you're facing is, you're, you've tried to fix it. You've done what you can. You've gone to the doctor's. You've, you've talked to people, you've, you've applied for these jobs, you, you've, you've done everything that you know to do, and still you get to the end of the day, and all that you have for your efforts is this. You have setbacks and disappointments. And she faced a long series of setbacks and disappointments in 12 years, folks, is a long time, isn't it? And that's what she's gone through, 12 years. And maybe every doctor she walked into, and she's like, I hope this is the one. Or maybe she heard about this specialist, so she went over here. Or somebody's like, have you talked to this doctor? I know he's been up. And every time she would walk in with hopes, only to have those hopes disappointed. And then it tells us in the scriptures here, it tells us literally things have gone from bad to worse. And, you know, things come into our lives sometimes like, okay, this isn't great, but I'll get through this, or I'll figure out a solution. And then we don't, you know, we get through it, I guess, but we don't figure out a solution. Or we, and, and this relationship keeps going south, and this medical condition keeps getting worse, and, and this, this job situation just keeps, you know, this financial thing that I'm dealing with, and it goes from bad to worse. And I... I, I appreciate what it just says here. It just says that she was suffering. And we look at this woman and say, okay, so you got this deal, and, you know, you wouldn't pick it. But, you know, it's not life-threatening, right? No, it's not life-threatening. But it is life-altering. But the truth of the matter was that this woman was dealing with pain. And it may not have even been physical pain, although I guess that came with the situation. But she was dealing with all the pain that comes from suffering. And if you've gone through suffering, suffering is painful, not just physically. Suffering is painful emotionally. Suffering is painful mentally, relationally. Suffering brings pain. And the truth is that for most of us, maybe not all of us, but for most of us in life, we can, will, and probably are likely to go through some suffering. So what then, that's what we know about this woman. What can we assume? We can assume this, first of all, that she was frustrated, likely worse. Now, I would look at this woman and say, well, why don't you just give up? Except, you know, to give up is even a worse scenario. So, like, I don't have much hope, but, boy, if there's another doctor out there, I'll try that. Or if there's another remedy that I've heard about, I'll, I'll try that. Or, but Frustration? And every day was getting up and just going, this is what I got, and there's nothing I can do about it. And even when I try to do something, it doesn't work out, and it's just a big disappointment. So she was frustrated, likely worse. I would assume that she was exhausted. 
And when life doesn't work like we think life should work, it leaves us exhausted. When we suffer, we deal with exhaustion. And I would assume, as we see, if we just saw this woman on the street, she probably walked slow. And she probably looked a whole lot older than what her age was because she had carried this weight for 12 years and she was exhausted. But even worse, she was isolated. This disease would have pushed her out of the middle of society into the fringes. She would have been marginalized. She probably would have ended up living by herself. She could never be touched. And so even... Her friends would distance themselves. Maybe even family had distanced themselves because she was isolated. But here's the thing. I think she became invisible. And that's why I say, even as we tell this story, if we could do that special effect where she just kind of starts to fade, where she just kind of looks more ghost-like, I think that's probably how she felt. Invisible. There's one more thing here, though. She simply needed to be seen. She needed to be seen. And that's when we go to our next scene here as we tell our story. She, the woman, we, we see her there, and, and she's just a wisp of smoke here. But we see her almost, and I can, I can picture this in mind, as she kind of almost floats through the, the crowd is she tries to get closer to Jesus, and, and she's actually going in between other people, but they're like unaware of her. And it's almost like as she gets there, and then she gets right there to Jesus, and she's like, and she reaches out to touch him. And then she's like, no, I better not. And she hesitates for that moment. And in that moment, Jesus walks another step forward, and, and she hurries to catch up, and she reaches out again, and then she hesitates. And we can kind of see that as, as she goes down the road there, as she reaches and reaches and reaches, and there's so much fear there. It finally it's like, okay, and she reaches out, and she actually touches him. But we're told this, as this story advances, even in, in the scripture that we read, that she said to herself, Maybe if I just touch him, he can heal me. But I think about that. What are the voices? What are the words? What are the things that she's saying to herself in this story? You know, if, if I touch him, maybe he'll heal me. But, but maybe I shouldn't touch him. Because that would, that, that would really be, that wouldn't be appropriate, would it? And, and maybe I'll just make a fool of myself. And, and what am I doing anyhow? I'm unclean. And what? Well, if anybody recognized me right now, they'd just take me and just like, throw me out and tell me to be gone. And maybe she goes through all of these things, but she finally reaches out and touches him, and we feel that tension as she makes that big step. <clears throat> and in some ways, it seems so cowardly because she's like sneaking up from behind. And yet in other ways, it is so brazenly bold, isn't it? And she reaches out and she touches him and immediately, and we can see that even on the camera, something happens to her and like she stands up straighter and, and, and like some life returns to her. And we can see that something happened and, and she walks away like almost stunned by what's going on there. And then we get to the next scene. 
It's where Jesus says, hey, who touched me? But Jesus wasn't wondering who touched him. He knew exactly who touched him. Why was he asking this question? I think he was asking this question because he knew that a woman there needed more than to just be healed of a bleeding issue. She needed to be seen. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? There's so many people here. How could we ever, how could we ever figure this out? And besides, we've got to get to this guy's house. With his daughter's dying. And you want to know who touched you, who bumped into you? And Jesus said, no, no, no. Who touched me? And it says in Matthew, he turned and he looked at the woman. And the, Luke says, she realized that she could not go unnoticed. And here's the word for today. You don't go unnoticed. You don't go unseen. We have a God, Jesus Christ, who sees, who turns and looks at us and says, who touched me and what was the point? Hey, I'm looking at you. You look at me. And the woman comes and she bows, but we see as they walk towards each other, maybe. And we see in this picture and Jesus says what to her daughter daughter such a word of affection such a word of gentleness such a word of welcoming and belonging daughter like you and me we're connected here your faith has healed you now that wasn't even true was it it wasn't her faith that had healed her it was Jesus power that had healed her and yet he turns and he says, hey, look at me. And what is the point? The point is that Jesus noticed her. And he saw her. She had approached him from behind. And he turned around and says, no, you look at me. You know how that one guy walked in here just a minute ago and said, hey, come help me with my, my, my daughter? You can look at me the exact same way because you're every bit as important to me as that guy is. And I'm good with being touched by you. And he did not ask so that he could know. He asked so that she could be known. And I think this is interesting. So many times Jesus in his healings, guys, I was like, let's keep this one on the down low. And this one, he's like, you know what? Let's have this one. Let's talk about it. And everybody else here, you can be a part of it. Can you back up a slide here? The special effect here is where this woman's become so like this wisp of smoke almost. I picture her of like all of the color coming back into the scene of her clothes just like vibrant. And we see all the other people in the story just start to fade away. Because it's just Jesus and her in that moment. And that's the encouragement for us, too, that it's just Jesus and me. And Jesus is really about establishing a relationship. In fact, here's the deal is that he didn't want her to just think that, her, that his power was what he was about. She had experienced his power. He turns and looks at her to say, what? It's not just my power. It's my love. Daughter, look at me. 
Your faith has healed you. And this is an interesting thing. That word healed in Greek could also be translated saved you. This was about more than her physical condition. This was about her spiritual condition as well. This was about her emotional condition. In fact, what does he say? Go in peace. All the turmoil that you've been living in. Go in peace. You're okay. And Jesus, first of all, saw her. Secondly, Jesus affirmed her. When he says, hey, who touched me? She assumes she's in trouble. He's like, no, 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 no. You're not in trouble. Your faith, your faith is incredible. I know you just feel like all you did was touch me, but, but what a bold move for somebody like you to do. And he affirms her, and then he commends her. Your faith has healed you. And then he heals her. Jesus healed her, but not just her body. He healed her soul as well. He gave her peace, and it says in one of the versions, he actually says, you know, you are free. This thing that has changed you for 12 years, that has kept you out of circulation, that has brought physical pain to you, that has messed up relationships, that has just dominated and affected your life in so many, that thing that has changed you, you're free. You're free. And so we go to the last scene here, as I see it. This, inter- this exchange, interaction, has kind of faded now, and, and, and probably Jairus is standing there going, my daughter, and about that time it actually tells us that somebody came and said, oh, don't, don't bother Jesus anymore, your daughter's dead. And I can imagine he's standing there like, we just hadn't waited here for this one thing, and Jesus is like, no, don't worry about that. We're going to go take care of your situation next. And I picture them as they go down this road, and as this crowd moves towards Jairus' house, this woman is in the crowd, and they come to an intersection. And in that intersection, it's, it's this way to Jairus' house. And it's this way to the woman's house, where she grew up, where her family still lives, to the neighborhood where their friends are. And I wonder if she stands there and it's like, should I go with Jesus? Or she's like, you know what? I'm going home. And she turns and she goes down that street. And the camera, as I can see that, stands and and goes back and forth. Should Should I follow the crowd or should I follow this woman? And she follows this woman home. That's the decision. And the woman walks into this house and says, hey, mom. Hey, dad. It's me. And I'm okay. So the question is in your story this morning, what's going on? Do you need to be seen? Let me just tell you, there's a God who sees. There's a God who sees a little 10-year-old girl. So says, oh, I see you. And I'm going to come find you. And I'm going to say, look at me. 
And I don't know where you are in your story, but there's a God who sees, and he comes into your story and says, I see you. Just look. Just look. Just look. You know what's interesting in this story, too? It's like there's, it mirrors Nicole's a little bit. There's like two moments with Jesus. There's that first moment of Jesus where she touches Jesus and she's healed. But then there's that second moment when Jesus says, no, 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 look at me. I'm more than just that. Know me for who I am, for how much I love you, for the freedom I can bring to your life, for the forgiveness that I can bring to your life, for the hope that I can bring to your life. And maybe that's where you are in your story this morning is, oh, you've touched Jesus. But maybe you need to actually look at Jesus, and maybe you actually need to be seen by Jesus. And maybe it's that moment where it's like, okay, you got it all, Jesus. I want to know you for more than just this, this experience that I've had over here. I want to experience more. When I talked to Nicole earlier this week, she made a statement, and I wrote this down, and you've long since forgotten that. But when you said this, I wrote this down. And this is what she said, and this is what we'll conclude with here this morning. Nicole said this, God still does miracles. Maybe they look a little bit different today, but I shouldn't be sitting here right now. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Just a couple questions this morning as we conclude. First of all, have you touched Jesus? Have you come to him and said, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you in my suffering. I need you in my brokenness. I need you in my invisibility. I believe that you came for me. That's why Jesus came. He did come for you. And I want to invite and ask Jesus into my story. Maybe that's you this morning. Where you sit, you can invite Jesus in. You can follow him. You can put your faith and trust in him. For those of you who have touched Jesus, as it were, do you need to be reminded this morning of the fact that he sees you? That he calls you daughter or calls you son? That he cares deeply and desperately for you? That that power is still available in your story? That the suffering that you're going through, he can do something about that? That the hope that you've given up on, he can still bring hope into your story? Maybe this morning Jesus is just simply saying, would you look at me? Would you look into my eyes? And would you trust me? I don't know. We talk about experiencing God. This woman experienced Jesus in an incredible way. But it wasn't just for her. It was for each of us to experience him as well. Dear Jesus, you are with us today. You promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. And as you helped a woman who for 12 years had struggled, you can help us today as we struggle. Please come into our struggles. Please assure us of your power. Please look at us with your love. Please heal us. Please make us whole. 
Please help us to experience you in all that you are. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Chris and the worship team are going to finish us with a song, and then you'll be dismissed.